On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll go one-on-one with the TV voice of the Pacers, Kristen Airy, who's tasked with calling the team's restart games in Orlando here in Indianapolis and inside Banker's Life Fieldhouse, where construction is ongoing. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. It's been so nice to have hoops back, isn't it? And it's a credit to the NBA. They've gone more than a month now without a player testing positive for COVID-19. So to answer one of the questions we all had at the very beginning and even still to this day, yes, the bubble environment works. And even further, I've been impressed with the quality of play thus far during these restart games. It seems like Well, every single day that there's been so many great games, I even think back to Saturday, for instance, a fun meeting between the Clippers and Trailblazers, and then the even more fun that happened on social media afterward, particularly between Damian Lillard and Paul George. Then you had the Jazz Nuggets go to two overtimes. The Pacers beat the Lakers despite LeBron James's efforts. Phoenix surprisingly beat the Heat, and then the Bucks and Mavs. That was a great finale. That one went into overtime. And Luka was ridiculous all game long. Maybe Luka Doncic's best game of his NBA career finished with a triple-double as well in that one. So a lot of great things happening, and it's good to talk with you about some of them with the Pacers right here on the Fieldhouse Files podcast. And a reminder to subscribe to this podcast to listen to both new and archived episodes wherever you listen to your podcast. Previous episodes included Kenny the Jet Smith, Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports, CJ Miles, and have many more planned here in upcoming days. And also, check out the new home for my written work. That's, of course, FieldhouseFiles.com, where each week I'll catch you up on the latest team news, plus I'll have game stories and features, like my exclusive story last week, taking you behind the scenes inside the virtual fan section. It was cool to watch one of the Pacers games against the Magic inside one of those fan sections and experience it for myself. I've also written about the franchise's recent layoffs, which were sad but necessary to report on, and also how T.J. Warren has answered the request of Coach Nate McMillan. He has just gone off in this restart, and I think part of it's by design. He's a guy that really can thrive in an environment like this. He doesn't need a crowd. He doesn't need pump-up music and and reactions from others watching. He's just a baller. He's a guy that I think if he rolled out a ball and allowed him into a gym, he would just play and go hard and do the little things that it would take to beat himself or as an opponent, one-on-no, right? He's a guy I can picture just practicing and practicing by himself, and he explained briefly what it was like for him during the quarantine where he was back home in Raleigh and really didn't have much access to a gym. The times that he did, he took advantage and really tried to work on his three-point shot, and I really like how his attempts are way up instead of two or three per game. He's now shooting more like seven per game and hitting half of them and playing quite well. I mean, if you're watching, you know exactly what he's been able to do. He had that 53-point effort. He scored 30 points or more in basically all but one game. And the surprising thing about that was the one game he did not was against the Suns, the one team he would like it on. And we'll see how he does against the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler, not just once, but twice this week. I'm recording this on Monday morning where the Pacers are 4-1 and in restart games. Their only loss to that Suns team. For the Pacers, what has worked is, number one, they've kept their turnovers down in these victories for the most part. They did have 10 in the win over the Lakers, but that's also because the Lakers turned it over a ton. But the Pacers have been able to keep that to about 10 or below, so that's been strong. They've shot better than 50% 
quite often. They're rebounding fairly well, except for that loss against the Phoenix Suns. And I just think we've seen growth throughout much of this roster. I think of Aaron Holiday, guy that's playing a new position next to Malcolm Brogdon in the starting lineup. And it was telling for me after their last win over the Lakers, several individuals highlighted Aaron Holiday. Nate McMillan, T.J. Warren, Victor Oladipo, and that's all without a question specifically about Aaron. We've seen Jakar Sampson, a guy that, for one, has battled back injuries throughout much of this season. Well, he's not a true five, but he's playing the center position just due to injuries um, for the first time in his NBA career right now. So he's coming off the bench and doing so and doing it fairly well and giving the Pacers an energy boost off the bench, and um, that's been necessary. Um, Two negatives, I think, so far has just been the performance offensively of Justin Holliday and Doug McDermott neither of whom have really got it going offensively. But I think that's just primarily because the challenges of that second unit, and it's a mixed-up lineup, right? You have Aaron Holiday in the starting lineup. You don't have Sabonis with the second unit. We saw Nate try to play Victor with that second unit. Well, that didn't work, so now he's trying Aaron Holiday back with that unit. And that's part of what these restart games and these seeding round games can be for, some experimentation. But they also have to figure something out because as they get into the playoffs, they're going to need that second unit, which was so reliable for them during the year. It was a group that pushed the pace. It was a group that maybe overcame some slow starts by that first group. Um, But those two have just not shot it well overall. But I expect for that to correct itself here in upcoming games. And speaking of Sabonis, by the way, I'm told he's training to return to the bubble. Now, when that might be is still to be determined, but I think that's um, noteworthy at this point because we didn't know what his status was if he was out for the year. We do know he's out indefinitely, but he's trying to get back in the bubble eventually after some of this treatment options where he's currently back in Los Angeles. Jeremy Lamb, by the way, he was with the team for the first month, but then late last week elected to leave the bubble and returned to his family and see his one-year-old daughter, and who could blame him there where he'll continue his rehab. Well, the seeding round, that ends this week. The Pacers play the Heat twice, the Rockets once, and we very well may see the Heat in round one against the Pacers. That's what it's shaping up to be. That's what it was even before this restart. Things have kind of fallen in line there for those top six teams. There's injuries to the six-seeded 76ers right now. Joel Embiid left last game. Ben Simmons has left the bubble. So it seems as though they're going to all stay where they've been slotted, at least in the Eastern Conference. Now, for these games, and we have three left, you've been able to watch all of them on Fox Sports Indiana, but you may not be aware that the TV crew is not in Orlando. They're not with the team because of COVID, because of trying to keep numbers down. Teams are very limited, only to 37 individuals inside that bubble, and a TV crew like them, and if you include Mark Boyle and the radio, might have anywhere from six to probably ten people, depending on if there's a color analyst for radio, etc. And so right now, They've been doing these broadcasts from the broadcast center inside Bankers Life Fieldhouse. It's kind of a bunker area near the practice court where, by the way, construction's ongoing, which complicates the issues. They're having to wear hard hats, and everybody except the announcers are wearing masks inside. So it's a very different setup for these local broadcasters around the league, and that's their new reality right now. Only national broadcasters have been allowed inside the bubble. So ESPN and TNT and Quite honestly, that's because of their partnerships. They're paying billions of dollars for that opportunity. So, of course, those individuals are getting taken care of. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. 
It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So to discuss this further, let's talk with Chris Denary. He's now in his 14th season as the TV voice of the Pacers on Fox Sports Indiana. All right, Chris Denary joins the podcast, and it's been an interesting four months for you, CD. I think you've probably not gone four months without a broadcast in the longest time um, outside of your Brickyard 400. I know you called that. What did you do to stay busy during that time? Uh, I did a lot of landscaping, Scott. Yeah. Uh, we, we bought a new house, uh, a different house last uh, August, uh, an older house, and we've had a lot of fun with it. So uh, really March, April into early May, I was able to get a lot done. Um, so uh, from that standpoint, that was that. You know, the last three years have been different for me in the offseason because I no longer do the WNBA. When, uh, you know, when I started uh, the Pacers job in 06, I would do 80-some Pacer games plus playoffs and then do anywhere from 20 to 40 fever games in the summer. So I really never had much time off. Uh, you know, the last couple summers prior to this one, I wasn't doing WNBA anymore. So once the last Pacers game hit sometime in late April or early May, then I wasn't doing another game until, uh, you know, October. Uh, but I was also filling in and doing some Big Ten football. You mentioned the racing. So uh, until I did the Brickyard, um, you know, I had been quiet uh, for, for the longest time. And you're used to being quiet but not in March. And so that, that was the biggest difference. Yeah, I remember my last game was the day after that Pacer game. There's a Big Ten tournament. So the last time before all those renovations that I was there was IU-Nebraska uh, playing, and we saw Fred Hoiberg go to the tunnel. We didn't know what it was. But it's just so much has happened since that time, although the days seem to go by um, slow in all this. I want to get in a, a little bit into your new broadcasting reality, but first – I think it'd be fun to talk some basketball. And number one right now, of course, is TJ Warren. He's been the most outstanding player in this bubble. Um, I think he's taking advantage of a greater opportunity, a bigger usage rate just because of the injuries that have surmounted. Um, And then also, I think he's just a guy that is perfect for this situation where you don't need a crowd. You don't need music. He's just strictly about basketball. Is that what you've seen as well? Yeah, I think he's just a guy that likes to play. And you go back to his AAU days when he played uh, for David West's brother, and David West is one of his tutors. This guy just likes to play, whether it's an open gym, whether it's practice, whether it's in an NBA building with 18,000 people, or whether it's one of the three arenas down in Orlando that just have, you know, just a few people hanging around. So I, I think he's perfect for this occasion. I also think, I mean, if you look at it, He's had a really good year. I mean, 33 times he scored 20 or more points, nine times 30 or more. Uh, He's one of the top field goal percentage guys in the league. He's uh, 16th right now. So this guy just loves to play. And I think he's more and more comfortable in his surroundings. Uh, He's more and more comfortable with his teammates. So it's not a surprise he's having success. I think the surprise is in the volume that he's and I think some people probably thought, okay, he scored 53 against Philadelphia. That's a one-hit wonder. Well, he backs that up with three more 30-point games down in Orlando. So 
I think it's a function of many things, but it's a real credit to TJ and his focus uh, for making it all happen. Yeah, not all, and in addition to the, the volume, it's the efficiency as well. As he's shooting nearly like 70%. And I also do really like how he's upped his three-point numbers. Um, we're seeing him take seven or eight threes instead of two or three per game. And, and it's really benefited him and the team. And I think that's something he'll try to do more and more um, as he continues in this league. Yeah, no question. And I mean, he was a 43% three-point shooter last year in Phoenix, and he made 77 uh, he's already made 89 this year, and, and you know, he's not going to play in the full complement of games uh, like he's played before. But I think that really helps him, and it makes his, uh, his inside game even that more dramatic because if you have to worry about him on the perimeter, you know he can put it on the floor and get to the rim and shoot off-balance shots. So I think that three-point shot is huge for him. Those of us that were obviously falling realize he was the leading scorer for this team. So a lot of the scoring isn't necessarily um, the surprise, but it, it's fun to consider, Chris, I think, what this team would look like if they were actually entirely healthy. And at this point, I still think probably Victor, should he be 100%, would be the number one guy. But there's great cases to be made, I think, that TJ could continue on, that maybe you look more for Sabonis, although a lot of what he gets is cleanups and when defense sags off and such. But that's the real intriguing thing, I think, when maybe looking ahead to future years. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you just look at the Lakers game on Saturday and we focus on Warren with 39, uh, I thought Victor and, and Malcolm had, had brilliant games. I mean, Victor's 9 of 17, hits a couple of threes. 22 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Brogdon, 24, five and six, hits four threes. And think about it. Those two guys played 10 games together uh, when the season ended in March and now have only played a handful of games together in the backcourt now. So I think you're right, Scott. I think, you know, the, the future here in the short term hopefully is bright these last games in the regular season leading into the playoff. But if this group, stays together and they're all under contract for next year uh, they have a real shot at doing I think some special things I think in this bubble we've kind of seen what it's going to take for this team to potentially advance say past the first round it's limiting those turnovers as they did so well in the first three or four games to 10 or less though they had 20 in that Laker game and still managed to get a victory I think it's overcoming those slow starts and then finding other people to contribute, whether um, and, and it hasn't shown itself thus far, but you need guys like a Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott off the bench to provide some kind of scoring punch. Because I think my number one issue, I think so far, has been because of the injuries, what the second unit now has become, and it's not nearly as efficient. Maybe one of the best benches in the league um, when they were mostly healthy. Yeah, I just can't imagine that uh, as you go forward that Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott are going to continue at 5 of 33 from yeah. three-point range. I mean, these are two guys that have had career years, uh, both shooting, you know, 42, 44% from three-point range. And so you've got to get you've got to get points from that bench. I mean, one of the the great things about this team is even when the starters have gotten off the slow starts, Usually the bench has been there to pick them up. And then when that first unit comes back in, they seem to be in more sync. So, uh, you know, it's hard to figure out how much it is for Justin Holiday and McDermott not having Sabonis with them because he creates so many open opportunities. But honestly, if you look at 
to me, the quality of shots that McDermott and Holiday have gotten through the first five games, they've been very high. They just have not made open threes, and I just don't expect that to continue. Yeah, and Aaron Holiday is another guy, um, guy I need to write about here in the coming days just because of what he's been able to do kind of quietly because it's not necessarily points, but efficiently and when sliding over to a new position. I thought, Chris, it was notable that after the last game over the Lakers, several players, including Vic and TJ and then Nate, weren't even asked about Aaron, but they made a point to single him out for his contributions. Yeah, he has seven assists the other day, three of three from the field. He's averaging five and a half assists in the bubble. Uh, I mean, this has been a, a real step forward for Aaron Holiday, and, and it's been good to see. We know he has a lot of talent. Uh, he has a lot of confidence. And even at six foot, he's got a, he's got a pretty good-sized body. He's built more like Drew than he is mm-hmm. Justin. And we've seen him have to defend some guys down to the post because um, – when you start Brogdon, Oladipo, and Holiday, one of those players is going to have to guard a big. Now, I thought Malcolm Brogdon, and, and we can look at LeBron, and he had 30-plus, and he had a really good game. But for Brogdon to defend him most of the time, score 25, and lead his team to a win, I thought was very impressive. Let's talk some broadcasting now. Obviously, uh, I'm a geek when it comes to kind of the what goes into all this. Um, one of the big challenges is usually you guys get incredible access. You're able to watch practice. You're able to watch shoot-arounds and, and mosey around a little bit more than some of us in the media. How, how much does that impact the, maybe the storytelling or the context you're able to paint during the broadcast for people without that? Well, it's a lot different. And, um, you know, I try to get on the Zoom calls. I'll ask questions. Sometimes I just listen. Uh, but that's the one thing maybe you miss. Uh, you know, when you're on the road, you're around these guys. Uh, when you're at practice, you might have a chance to just sit and visit with them. It's not on camera. It's not taped or anything. But just to pick up information, how they're doing, how they're feeling. So I think that's the one thing that is probably the most different. Um, actually calling the game with the big monitor has not been as difficult. Um, And I don't want to say as I thought it was because I had done games like this before. But once the game starts, you sort of immerse yourself in it. And to be quite honest, the view that we have with the big screen is probably better than five or six of our broadcast locations in the NBA when we're up. For instance, at Philadelphia and Washington, we're about 45 rows up and we're even with the basket. So we're not even at center court. So from that standpoint, um, I think our crew has done an exceptional job. Um, My boss, Jamie Burns, and and the people at the Fieldhouse putting everything together. Um, The space that I have to work, um, I don't have this kind of space courtside or wherever I do a game. So that's a very positive thing. But I do think the thing you miss is just that interaction with the players, with the coaches, away from the game, and then you miss when you have a chance to sit courtside, and we do it probably 20 of the 30 buildings, is you just miss the interaction with the officials, and you just feel like you're in the game. Um, Golden State's new building, the Chase Center, uh, you broadcast basically from what is like a football press box, so you feel like you're miles and miles away. So, in essence, where we're doing the game now and calling the game almost feels no different than being in some of the venues we're in. Yeah, once it comes game time, I think just the biggest thing is the 
able to use your own eye to look around to maybe if, if Nate's on, not on camera, you could see how he reacted to a call or to a foul. Or there's other ways um, that can greatly benefit you. I know both of you have great relationships over time with the officials. So if you maybe don't understand something, I've seen them during timeouts come over and clarify or, or explain maybe the review, those sorts of things. But otherwise, as I've told you, I think last week on the phone, it's I think if those that don't know wouldn't know that you're not there because – um, it sounded great, and secondly, and I don't know how you do it because it's very difficult, but to keep the energy level. And I think without the fans and the natural noise environment, any broadcaster knows that's really difficult to continue on. Yeah, that's that's the biggest deal that you have to think about um, is how you keep that energy in a studio. Um, and, and there have been a couple of times where we haven't had quite the gnat sound in our ears that I would like, and that's just a function of the technology. And so I really want that Nat sound. And, and again, when we did the games back um, in October from India and we were in St. Louis, it was done the same way, but there were 10,000 people in the building. So <laughs> yeah. you had all kinds of crowd noise in your ears. You don't have any of that right now. So I think that's the biggest thing. What I try to do is I watch all these games uh, that we've done, uh, sort of to self-critique myself and to see where, hey, was my energy good here? Was it too much? Was I shouting? Because that's the hardest part of this whole thing um, is, is, is knowing how your voice resonates. But I'll be honest, when I've watched them back, if, if you told me that I wasn't there, I wouldn't know. And that's what we try to convey with our fans. You had done remote broadcasts a couple times before. I think it was Africa, and I know you just mentioned, obviously, India. H- have you done it with any great frequency even before those two games? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I'm going to say I probably did five to seven WNBA games um, okay. remotely. Um, there were a couple times we did games um, from the studio that were at Madison Square Garden against the Liberty and in Washington, D.C. against the Mystics. So, I'd had some experience doing that, and, and I think that's helpful um, that, you know, for the first time doing these, it, it wasn't like, a, you know, a learning experience. I had done it before, so I was familiar with how I needed to be. How does your game night now change? Because I know normally I'll see you in the media room having kind of a group meeting, I want to say about two, two and a half, two and 15 before each game. What is that like now as you guys kind of have to work remotely and then all come together on a game night? Yeah, I still get in about two and a half hours before. Uh, so for instance, on Saturday night against the Lakers for a six o'clock game, I was in the field house at about three thirty. Um, you know, we, I meet with our producer and we have a different producer, uh, Jason Dizick, who uh, produces the, the Detroit Pistons games. Since our producer, Max Linewan, left to go work uh, for the uh, Los Angeles Angels and producing their telecast in MLB, we needed somebody to fill in. So it's been great to work with Jason. So um, I try to get in at 3.30. There's some voice work that I need to do, a tease, those types of things. And then I just sort of get my workspace uh, prepped so that I'm ready to go. And then we have our usual pregame show. I may or may not be in it uh, a half hour before we go on the air. Um, I guess the one difference, you know, when you think about a road game, once the game is over, I've got a 30-minute drive home. That's it. So uh, it's pretty easy. To that end, I've been 
curious to follow along here with the players and the teams to see how their bodies and maybe um, you know the recovery is much better because they're not having to travel and get in at 2 in the morning or change time zones and those sorts of things. And I think that's been a big contributor in what we've seen so far is I've been pleasantly surprised, CD, with, with the quality of play. It seems like every single day the majority of games are de- decided at the very end and by you know two to four points. Oh, I think the games have been outstanding. I've watched a lot of them in, in over a uh, two-week period now, counting the three scrimmages that each team played. And now most teams have played anywhere from four to six games. Uh, I think it's been outstanding. And I give a lot of credit to the players, to the coaches, uh, because I think a lot of people wondered what the product would look like. Uh, I think it's been every bit as good as it needs to be. Um, the offenses have been really good. I think I think we thought the defenses would be ahead at the start of this bubble, that, that teams may struggle shooting the basketball just because they had gone so long without doing it. But that's not been the case. And, and uh, so I, I think it's been even better than we could have anticipated. Yeah, we've seen the Phoenix Suns. That was a team I'm not sure it'd be it'd be hard for those guys to get up for it, knowing they really don't have a chance to compete in anything, and yet they've won all five games, even though really the playoffs are outside you know, their scope. And I think, again, that's been another pleasant surprise. And along the other lines, we saw the Lakers clinch that number one seed so early on, and now you, I think you would have a little bit concerns, but at the same time, they don't. these games are truly meaningless right now um, for a team like the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think they have some concerns. I, I don't know um, their perimeter shooting right now. It sure hasn't been very good down in Orlando. But you'd never bet against LeBron. No. I mean, we used it on the telecast the other night. Is <laughs> If you think about it, five times he knocked the Pacers out of the playoffs. Five times. Three in Miami and twice with the Cavaliers. So um, he's a guy that somehow wills his team uh, to victory. And he had some Cleveland teams that weren't so good. The, the advantage he has here is he has Anthony Davis. Now, Davis didn't play very well against the Pacers, but I don't anticipate that happening too many times this year. No, not at all. And, and to go back to your first point with LeBron, I think it was five times in seven years. And it was just an awful timing for this Pacers franchise because they had some of their best seasons against Jordan's teams. They had that great team early on in the 2000s and then then as they had picked up and had a chance there, they ran into LeBron's Heat teams, and he had been the guy that kind of put them out. Um, outside of that, it was that year they didn't make the playoffs, and then the Toronto Raptors, I believe, um, in round one and within everything. Uh, going back to the broadcast, in terms of in terms of you and Quinn, um, you're a little bit separated, which I know is different because you can't like push him or make him aware of any things like I often might do during a call. How does your in-game interactions differ now that there's more of a separation? Yeah, it's a little bit different because you're not sitting right next to him. We're a good 10 feet apart. We each have a separate table, um, and we use two separate cameras, so we're never on the same camera shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all double-boxed. But I think the good thing is is we're in the same room so we can still play off each other. I've watched a number of national telecasts where, for instance, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, uh, one night I'm watching John Shumby, their play-by-play guys in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe, one of the analysts, is in San Diego. And Cooper <laughs> Jones is in Atlanta. So all three of them are in different venues. And so there is something when you can see somebody's reaction that you can play off of. So that's still the good thing. We are together. We're in the same room. We may be 10 feet apart, 
but but there's still that interaction um, as we're putting on the broadcast. The one different thing that we all experienced here in India, especially, was during those exhibition games, if you will, was because you guys carried it an entire broadcast on oh, nearly commercial free. It seemed like for two hours. Um, how, what was that like, especially having to game plan for even more than you usually would carrying yeah, through during timeouts and everything? Yeah, that was different. I mean, that, that's what when we got to <laughs> these games on Fox, that made it a little bit easier because you're right. We were going two and a half hours uh, with really no break. I was doing the halftime. Uh, basically, it was on air from start to finish. Uh, our last couple of broadcasts, we brought in other members of our team. We had Mark Boyle. We had Pat Boylan, Eddie White, JJ, Eddie Gill. And they would join us for a quarter, and then we would utilize them to talk through the commercial breaks. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, – I don't know if I'd want to do too many of those uh, because the one thing it does for me – is I use the timeouts to get situated, to look at trends, to update my notes and my stats. So that made it difficult. But, hey, it, they were three scrimmages. Um, we were pleased with the, the audiences we got on Pacers.com. But it's good to be back on television on Fox Sports Indiana. Yeah, that's a good time to update your stats, maybe circle back some storylines that you want to rehash. And to that end, you also didn't have Jeremiah. So you didn't have a sideline necessarily to toss it over to as well, which added to the complexity, I think, of all of it. Yeah, no question. I mean, again, we were able to add those people to our telecast in the final two. But, yeah, it, it was it was a little bit different. But it was also a good way to, to – to figure out how the studio was going to work and how the control room was going to work. And and that made it a nice rehearsal prior to these seating games. I think the best thing, CD, about all this is it's it's kind of another sense of community. I know as everybody still goes through what everybody is dealing with, it's a time at least two hours on game days, which is essentially now every other day, where everybody can tune in to you guys, your broadcast, and kind of feel together, whether it's that and also on Twitter as well going along with the game. And I think that's can, that can be beneficial for all of us right now. Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think people were, were craving sports. And I think, I think the NBA has the best commissioner in sports in Adam Silver. And what they've been able to put together uh, safely down in the bubble, uh, they continue to test, knock on wood, and, and have negative test results. But I think, I think what you're watching is not that much different than what you watch on a regular basis. I watch baseball. I watch golf. Um, baseball, to me, is really effective when I see a, a stadium with 40,000 empty seats. Um, I think the NBA's done a really, really good job in the presentation, and we've tried to accent that with our tele, uh, television broadcast. Yeah, and I think it's worked out well. I don't, I don't mind the lack of fans. I think the only thing that would be odd is if you were at the venue – um, just the noises. And if anything, my argument for all the broadcasts was I'd like to hear more on court. But my guess is that's more NBA related because um, they're kind of filtering it a little bit. If you listen to the national broadcast, there's a lot of beep outs that they have to, to deal with. And while it's frustrating, I do understand it because you also have you know kids watching and everything. But that would be my one more thing that I would like to do to update the broadcast a little bit more. Kind of an unfiltered feed. Yeah, I mean, I think you could you could probably do that. I guess it would be sort of like the Last Dance, right, uh, how right. the Last Dance had uh, two different feeds. They had the censored version on ESPN two and the uncensored version on ESPN. 
I do know that uh, just in talking to people with the NBA, I think under each court, there are like 39 microphones. And I think that enables them to pick up the squeak of the shoes and all of the gnat sound, but yet you don't have to pick up a lot of the audibles from the players. So I think that's the route the NBA went. At least that's how it works for us with the RSNs. And I think it's worked out pretty well. Good deal, Chris. I appreciate you jumping on. Anything else you want to promote about your broadcasts or things that are a little unusual about it at all? Well, no. I mean, you know, we're looking forward to the playoffs. Uh, we'll be able to do the first round just like we've always done. And, uh, you know, it. Uh, we'll see what happens. But it sure looks like over the course of the next three weeks, it could be uh, Pacers heat every other night. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. That'll make it easy for your spreadsheets uh, and game prep for everything. That's for sure. We'll see. That's right. All right, Chris. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Scott.